Do you think peace requires an end to war? Or tigers eating only vegetables? Does peace require an absence from your boss, your spouse, yourself? Do you think peace will come some other place than here? Some other time than now? In some other heart than yours? Peace is this moment without judgment. That is all. This moment in the heart space. Where everything that is, is welcome. Peace is this moment without thinking. That it should be some other way, that you should feel some other thing, that your life should unfold according to your plans. Peace is this moment without judgment. This moment in the heart space where everything that is, is welcome. Dorothy Hunt. End it there. That was delicious. Um, so you just heard the wonderful voice of Jim McNeish, and you are being spoken to by Christy Mack. And we're here. Um, if those of you that haven't listened to our experience podcast, we're here and still in the smithy. The smithy, and more coffee's coming. More coffee is coming, so you might hear the interruption of the soya latte being popped <laughs> on the table. Um, and we are with this series three of our podcast situations, <laughs> ah, um, doing light and dark. We're enjoying it, and today's a little bit more on the dark side. So it's a lot more on the dark side, actually. It's an incredibly important subject, and I almost feel nervous that we're going to enter into this. But fortunately, we're in the the very safe hands of Kirsty Mack. As Kirsty, we talk about death. Death. Yeah. So I just got shivers there. So death as an end and a beginning. Yeah. Um, and so there's our, we always like an and, you know, when we're talking, we always like an and. So I think, so I've been doing a lot of research on this because uh, as part of my book research, I've had many conversations with you. Um, it's about realizing that we need to let things die in order to let ourselves live. Which seems fairly final. It is, it's, I mean, it's letting go. You know, we have to end things in order to start other things. Yeah, I agree. It feels like we're in a space right now, and I've said this a lot of times recently, so therefore I must think about my projections because I obviously need to listen to myself. Is we're in a gap of no longer and not yet. Yeah. Yeah, we are. We're in a, a space where some things have already died without some of those new things being apparent. And um, I know that a good death is something that is really important to me. I, I was taught the concept by Anita Roddick. I know that Anita would have loved the body shop to have had a good death. She'd have loved it to have melted down and its funds, its energy to be redistributed amongst entrepreneurs. Just the reality of business didn't allow her to do that. And I, I felt the exact same when I finished Cantle. I remember thinking, I want Cantle to have a good death. I imagined a massive party and a Kaylee and all those things. And we had meals and we had things out, but I think I ran out of energy or a bit of shadow caught up with me or something. And I, I just, I wasn't there for it. But I wish I had been. And I think a good death is incredibly important to just lay a fertile field for the next season. Yeah. I don't think, and this could be a sweeping generalisation, I don't think we end things well. No. You know, great examples there, projects, 
relationships, businesses, jobs, life. I don't necessarily think we end things well, and I think those you know, that is such a beautiful thought process from yourself and Anita to think about actually this is, I want to end it well, I want to create a ritual, I want to create a, so that it begins something else, that fertile ground that you speak of. And, and I think we've spoken about it a few times is that those rituals are so important. Yeah. Why do, I mean, why do you think we don't end things well? Do you think we're scared to death? Yeah. So, so there, there was... <laughs> So you're me, not confused me, about that me, then, Kirsty. Let me think about that. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank Lewis. you so much. Um, Cheers. So that's my visceral... You, you know that I'm terrified of death, so the fact that we're talking about this is, is bizarre. Um, yeah, I think it's the most... It feels bleak. It feels final. It feels like a, a full stop. It feels... You know, it's like a bold full stop with 72 font, you know, it's, it's, it's done. And, and it's, and so there's fear wrapped around it, and so that letting go. There's, um, uh, and I can't remember, I'm not going to say the name properly, but it's a, uh, a novelist, a Czech novelist, and I'm going to say Milan Kundera, I don't know how to say it properly, so excuse my Scottishness. Um, but I love this, they said, and this actually loosened my fear. Mm. suggests that um, we have a foretaste of death through the art of forgetting. Because mm. he says, what terrifies us most about death is not the loss of the future, but the loss of the past. Mm. And so de- when we forget, it's the death. It's the death of the past. Isn't that interesting? Because I keep hearing people say, and I've said it, oh my God, I, I keep forgetting that. It's lockdown brain you know we've got this this thing called lockdown brain now Mm. I wonder if it's because we're not wanting to let go of the past do you think that's maybe why older people become better reconciled to death and that Mm. they become more forgetful oh oh right okay there I've got shivers I wonder I just I just wonder yeah, and actually, yeah, because even, and there's an accept, oh, I just forget, you know, there's an acceptance of the forgetting. There's an initial fighting of it. Mm. I heard um, Danielle Laporte say, what we're, what we're currently being called to do is to manage our death so that we can have a beautiful rebirth. Yeah. There's possibility in the, you know, there's possibility in the no longer and the not yet. I think we need to let go of the no longer to really grasp the possibility and the magic of the future. Yeah. You know? But I, I do think I do think death is a really scary topic for people. I know I know that it was for me as a as a child and, and certainly young adult as well. Um I had a I had a real terror of death. But like all healing and like all therapy and like all coaching I think we begin to eradicate it, or we begin to at least dissipate the terror when we form distinctions about death. Like, like, what do we mean by it? What are the different kinds of death that we would experience? Um, and I think maybe it starts with that contrast, that comparison again. Um, the Glenn Ringweed. Um, quote basically says it's the same with life and death death said what would life be worth if there was no death 
Who would enjoy the sun if it never rained? Who would yearn for day if there was no no night? I think bringing a distinction, bringing a contrast, bringing a what does it exist as as a dualism, somehow dissipates the terror. Yeah. It's no longer just the big full stop. It's the big yeah. full stop on a white page. Yeah. Yeah. And there are. Then talking to clients, grief is one of the biggest emotions that's coming through just now. Because I think there are so many things that are dying. But it's allowing ourselves to let it go. So, like you're saying, in terms of the distinctions, perhaps for some of us, death of reality. You know, death of that no longer. You know, and that could come in many different shapes. It could come in, you know, the the reality of our business, or the reality of the construct of work, or the reality of life, or the reality. Of, you know, there's there's big elements there. But maybe one of the things is death of what was that reality, and then it's okay. That's done. Now, how do we reinvigorate? How do we rebirth a new reality? Yes. And. <clears throat> Like, you and I have sat in the smiddy before having coffee, and we've already laughed quite a bit today, which is what we do, and we've already exchanged our thoughts and our ideas, which we do. I wonder if some of the death, that realistic, that that death of reality is about death of the meaning we used to make of things. Yes. What What if a lot of things were still the same? You know, we still get up in the morning and have breakfast. We still communicate with a lot of the people we used to communicate with. We still have some of the same old hang-ups. But actually, there's death of a meaning. And I wonder if we were less attached to meaning-making, and to go back to our previous podcast, more attached to experience, death would feel much more natural and much more easy. But it's the death of our meaning-making that's beginning. And we don't have the new meaning-making apparatus yet for this not yet, for this new world. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, <laughs> so many. I've got ricochets of, of thoughts <laughs> going through my head. Yes, yes, and yes. Um, and death of the self. This is a big identity shift for people. You know, we we all remember when I said when everything came out of my day. Don't worry, people. I have let it go. Um, but it felt like a death of self death of identity, who I was, you know, it's that lovely quote from Alice, I can't go back to yesterday as I was a different person then. It seems like we're working for an identity rather than from an identity. Oh yeah. I was in um, a sort of conference style event and in and out of Zoom breakout rooms um, and then we got some feedback that you know some people thought it was too long some people less and that's fine that's, we're never that's okay and in some of the instances it was because because we had to introduce ourselves first so we didn't have time to talk oh I thought wow for what reason did you have to intru- so one if I'm if I'm on Zoom with you and I'm very delighted I'm not right now because I can see you <laughs> You've got your name underneath, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. I don't then need to know... There you are. <laughs> our work here is done, people. You know, but they were, everyone was saying, this is my name, this is who, this is what company I work for, and this is my title. For what purpose? For makes what you, purpose? Makes you ask the question, who were they introducing? 
a character. You know, this is for what part, and, and it was interesting because being on your programs with Shadow um, and personality types, running my own programs like Home, people are, are amazed at the depth of conversation you can get to with a human being who's a stranger. Yes. But they aren't a stranger because they're a human being and so there is no stranger. So, you know, it's that identity, so, you know, is that death of the self, is that death of the ego? And is that also a lot of our suffering in that? There's a, a, a Buddhist koan uh, by uh, Wei, Wei Wei is his name. Okay. Uh, his actual real name's Terence Gray. It's <laughs> kind of like. <laughs> I see why it's jokes then. Actually, it's bad. Wei 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 is what he goes with. But actually, I, I love what he said. It says, Why are you so unhappy? Because 99.9% .9 of everything you do is for yourself, and there isn't one. Oh, hello. This concept of identity, this person that has a career, this person that has a life, this person that achieves and accumulates, how much of that is a Western construct of what a life is about? And we've fallen into a story that really doesn't match our experience of life, nor prepares us for death. It doesn't. It, it, it prepares us or, or pushes us towards hanging on for grim, you know, grim day. Yeah. Uh, uh, hanging on with everything we've got to just um, try and stay alive and try and continue to keep our ambition in place. And some people, it's kind of the death of the dream. And this is kind of too, it's like, there's a thing in, in America, I think you have them over here as well, it's, it's called the dead letters office. The letters that don't get to people right. go to the dead letters office. Some through this and, and before this as well, people have sent their dreams to the dead letters office and saying, "Do you know what? That's it's done. It's done." Oh. Well, now, but that might that it might be because it wasn't actually their dream. <laughs> Maybe they were holding on to someone else's dream. Conversely, a lot of the conversations I'm having with clients is that this pattern interrupt that 2020 has afforded us has allowed them to see and get closer to their dream. They've reversed it and thought. Oh, so I'm working remotely means I could be like anywhere. <laughs> you know, so actually their dream they've brought out of the Dead Letters office and yeah. it's been a rebirth. Yes, dreams for their kids. Oh. Dreams for other people in their lives, you know. Suddenly dreams become expansive as a notion. Yes. Um, yes. I, 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 see, I see death of business as another, another chunk. Um, yeah. Maybe the office is no longer. Maybe yeah. the place of work, the gathering. Yeah. Maybe you didn't value it enough and complained too much. And now you realise that a lot of your dreams were wrapped up in that place. A lot of your sense of self. Yes. Um, yes. Income stream, your financial goals. Um, I'm living a very different business life to the one I led eight months ago. Yeah. And I'm no longer... I no longer have any of those aspirations or dreams and it, it come crashing down with a hideous thump. Uh, it was not a pleasant thing, there was a definite death. And actually it lasted for three days, believe it or not, I kind of like, it's just very metaphoric, but for three days I kind of, I went under the earth, I, I died to my old vision of the Quake community and those things and 
and then <clears throat> it wasn't like I there was choirs when I kind of came to the surface and sunbeams it was <clears throat> your encouragement around podcasts and doing it and kind of like you know let's do that and, and, and let's work together on it and, and your natural enthusiasm it's like yeah and then a video and an online program and a and before I knew it there's a new financial model there's a new a better financial model a better business um, and one where I can be more creative and more myself I had no idea that that was possible that that existed and I don't think I would have had if I hadn't gone as low as I went a bigger community you know, you now there's a much bigger community, and so I think that's the thing is that you know the death allows a rebirth. You know, that's been a rebirth. That's so. What do we need to let go of so that we can be reborn as who we are meant to be? Uh-huh. You know, and you know, I think we've said this many times. There are amazing, a wonderful beauty that can emerge from this. There's magic that can emerge from this. There's connections and collaboration, as you just said, that it has emerged from this. Um, I, and it goes back to what we talked about in experience. Follow the ache in your heart. Yes. Get into your body and notice what needs to die in order for you to live. I am. Um, I think I see people who do it. See, I watch people, and I see when somebody's faced into death. They're much freer than I've ever seen. Not everyone, I guess one or two come through trailing trauma, but I notice others who have genuinely faced into their own mortality somehow or another go through life a lot lighter, a lot more grateful, a lot more alive. Um, You watch them wanting to have really good conversations with you. The people I know who have done that, when they're with me, they look me in the eye. They want to, you know, I think I see some of that in you. You went through a very near-death experience when you were very young, 28. And um, and I wonder if how much of your philosophy and how much of your spirituality and a lot of your life comes from that incident. I think I observe it in you. Thank you. Yeah. It's nice that I can look you in the eye, like straight over here. <laughs> there is a... You know, there are, you do hear people going, oh, I... I didn't realise how how great my life was. Yeah. I never want anyone to say that. You know, realise it, get in it, experience it, splash around in it, notice it, be aware of it. You know, the dark side and the light side, because it's all great. Um, I, I think there's. It feels like like talking to clients, doing my research and stuff for the book is. We're carrying grief around, you know, misplaced thoughts, uncertain endings. We've all had that lack of closure. Yes. That people are, this uncertainty that people are are living in right now, this way of not living. And and just how do we get to the point where we can shake that off? Because it stops us living our best life. Yeah. Well, if if part of what we're saying is, is that increasingly death is so essential to life it's like you know can we face into these these um, deaths along the way and, and, and no longer have it as a stranger you know no longer have it as a, a an unspeakable part of our lives you know we've lost people there are people in my life who I love dearly that died 
and um, and I I will miss them when I think about them, and I'll miss them right now when we're in the middle of this pandemic. I'll really wish they were around. Um, it's, but I'm also aware that it's a really important aspect of my life is that they're gone and that I've embraced their death. I think it's a, it's a way of living more more alive during this time and, and, and almost like a ferocity to your living. It's like bring a fierceness to it, um, to your living so that you are experiencing everything and grabbing it and you're not leaving anything on the table. Ferocious living. I'm gonna, I might steal that for the title of the book, I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> So it's, it's a, that's a practice, isn't it? That's of, you know, of acceptance. It is a practice. Yeah. And it is a constant, and I love oh, Mary Oliver, you know, listening, you breathe in just a little and calling it a life. Oh. Oh, just take a moment. Are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? I am, Mary, I am. I have to confess I'm doing that you know? sometimes actually that ferocious living what is the practice and even asking yourself questions what do you need to end or even just a really practical pragmatic thing is we all love a list right get me you know give me a list some post-it notes and some very good stationery and then I will have achieved things absolutely (laughs) why don't you just stop doing the list you know end the thing you know what is it you need to end in order for you to live what do you need to not do in order to be more of you. Yes. I mean, there's that, that, that whole thinking of the ability to invent a new future. Mm. It's always that the existential teachers on it will always say you need to start at zero. You need to start with everything everything that wasn't closed, taking it and putting it in the past. You need to start naked, zero, at the beginning of the clear field. And then you invent a future from there. Then it's truly invention rather than the past continuing to run the show. Oh. The, the essential nature of death in that circumstance and it and it's got all the emotions of death it doesn't feel great there's a collapsing, a letting go a, a nakedness, a trust a faith to allow yourself to die in that moment so that you can invent that new future wow so you're designing you know and, and would you, how can you invent days that you'd like to relive again and again and, and are you are you allowing yourself to be conscious of what you can do rather than tuning into the news, the media, and say, oh well, I can't do this, so I won't do. It. I can't. You know, are you letting other people design your days? Yeah. So do, if, if you go to that point of letting go, letting go of their thought process, then perhaps it's just allowing ourselves to notice what we can bake into our own days. I was, I, was, um, I was reading about um, medieval monks, as you do, yes. um, and I love the thought they kept a human skull in their cell <laughs> <laughs> to focus on their own mortality. So it was just there, it was front and centre, and it was, you know, living their days. You know, there's, um, I can't remember what it was, uh, right, having a writing studio so that you have a good view of the, of the cemetery. Yeah. That kind of focuses your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, here's the bit I love about that, that cemetery, that skull, that reminder of death, is that it's like gravity and it's like the earth. You don't have to engineer it. You don't actually have to kill 
in order to create death. It'll happen by itself. You can trust it. You can trust the momentum of it. And I wonder if we trusted it more, it would happen a little bit more just at the right time. It'll happen at the right time. And I think, and including in us, I am, I've spoken to a lot of people who have a strong faith or a strong religious conviction, who, when they've lost someone, it isn't part of the tenets of their faith to still commune with them. And yet they want to. And they'll come and ask me, should I still talk to my mum now that she's gone? Absolutely. Of course she should. Because whatever she was inside of you is still there. She's still there. And, um, and when you're ready to take those projections that are inside of you that you put onto your mum, and when you're ready to say, I can take them back now that you've gone, you'll be more whole and you'll be ready to let her die. Um, I remember wrestling with that when my mum died. I remember thinking, you know, there was, there, was, there was three occasions where I was so overwhelmed by grief that I actually collapsed, I fell to the floor. And there's a real metaphor in that, which is gravity, the, the, the earth still held me up. It was still solid down there, but I fell. It's like there was a, a dying. And um, I think there's a Portuguese saying, I think, that says that a man is born twice. Once when his mother gives birth to him and the second time when his dad dies. And it's about owning your whole self, no longer projecting and storing bits of yourself on your parents, but taking them back into you again and saying, no, they're mine. This was my story about my mum and dad. This was my thing. So that they can be them and they can go off and do what they want to do. And you can love them much more fully and much more wholly and far less muddled. And it's death that creates that. It's death that allows that to happen. Yeah. It's, um... Yeah, I think this is a time for us to know what we can let go of. I mean, you know, I'm rubbish at, like... <laughs> well, you know I'm rubbish, but we've had many conversations from a sort of death perspective, which you have helped me with. But I, you know, I'm not good at ending things. Like, I'm my personality type isn't great at, like, closing goodbyes, right? I'll come in, right? I'll, you know, I'll be sort of very sort of... Um, I will look like an extrovert, but I am really awkward with goodbyes. Aye. I hate ending things. It's really, I'm jaggy, I'm awkward, I'm, I, you know, I'm actually loving this whole, um, <laughs> the whole sort of thing on Zoom because I don't, I don't, do I hug, do I not, do I walk, do you know, it's just like I don't, you just do the silly wave. Um, <laughs> so I think, you know, it, endings weird me out. But I think for me, this whole thisness of 2020, I'm allowing myself to end things better. What do you think it is, Kirsty? What do you think it is that, is it still that terror of death? Is it that, because Irvin Yalom, the great existential psychotherapy says, the terror of death is what sits behind every fear. It sits behind every psychopathy, you know? It's, it's like, it, it's, um, is there, is it that for you? 
There's that, yes. I have real through the 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 work that I'm doing just now through the book is obviously the work I'm meant to do. I did not envisage the trajectory of my book to take the trajectory it did. As in I'm learning a lot about death. And so I'm obviously made to do that work. So there is still that fear. There is definitely that fear that sits there. Um, and, and it's the bit of fear of missing out that comes through as well. You know, if I end it, then it's just like, oh, it's, oh, it's, oh, it's done. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, and so, so yeah, there's there, there's elements of that. Um, but I, I am, I'm doing a practice of letting things go. I have to. I'll tell you when I let go of my fear of death and see if it helps, but um, I was 41 and I was in the B&Q cafeteria visiting clients and I was reading When Nietzsche Wept by Irvin Yalom. And from childhood I'd always had a terror of eternal annihilation. So I used to lie in my bed as a nine-year-old and imagine what it might be like to be asleep forever and ever and ever and ever. And I used to go on and on and on until the existential terror of it would encompass my whole body and I'd scream. My mum and dad would have to come through and it was awful. And I, I always suspected that becoming a Christian was maybe a way of me combating that. And it was maybe just it was a way to put it in a box. And uh, I remember when I was 41 I was reading this book and the conceit of the book is this, that Friedrich Nietzsche would like psychotherapy but he can't afford it. And so him and Joseph Brewer, the father of psychotherapy, agree together that Nietzsche will psychoanalyze Brewer. And at one point they're in a, a graveyard and uh, Joseph Brewer takes a couple of stones and he puts them on his parents' grave. And Nietzsche says to him, um, can you explain why you did that? And he said, oh, it's tradition. It's not because of how people will see it. It's not because of, I believe anything in particular. It's just, you know, I, I, I just do it. It's tradition. It's what we do as, as Jews. And Nietzsche says, yeah. He said, um, what does it represent? He said, really, he said, death is when it's gone. He said, this life is just a spark between two voids. <laughs> and... Um, I felt as I read it that old angst coming up until Nietzsche then says and isn't it funny how we only preoccupy ourselves with the second void and that isn't even the point of the story in the book it's a throwaway line but it changed my life at 41 when I realised I've already come from eternity I'm going back to eternity my consciousness, my spirit, it knows how to do that. I feel experientially a belief inside of me that that is true, that I am eternal. And <clears throat> it's where I've come from, I'm just going back to it. My faith talks about it as coming out of the Godhead and going back to the Godhead, you know. Um, it's about the kind of stretching out into your own unique individuality, then coming back into a belonging. And at 41, I relinquished my terror of death completely and absolutely and interestingly my faith got stronger my faith wasn't a band-aid it experientially had built up a lot of things but suddenly I felt at a deep experiential level that's how it was and, and it was then that I, I let go my terror of death wow. and it's like whatever happens with your mum and dad and you 
you're going back to where you've come from. And this is when I'm meant to talk and I can't even <laughs> see anything, but you know, I'll, we can do these things. It's not, it is that acceptance of the big death, as it were, allows it, I think, so that acceptance of the big death comes from the acceptance of the little death. I think it's cyclical. I think yeah, either yeah, can yeah. help either. Yeah. Either getting forgetful, allowing it to happen, yeah. or accepting the big death means that actually maybe we change, transform, and rebirth far quicker in our lives. Here, right behind the next television show, the next new age healing machine, the next mantra, the next guru, the next emotional enlightenment game, the next cathartic opening, the next insight about your past, the next version of your favourite car, the next computer game, the next download, the next sweet circle of well-meaning egos, the next therapy for body, mind and soul, the next crystal for chakra balancing, the next technique for discovering nothing. It's a great friend you consider full death. See if facing death does not invite you to live in a way nothing else can or ever will. Death comes as illusion. Life comes as illusion. What will end illusion? Death. The only thing that dies is illusion. Dorothy Hunt.